I'm here at Information Development World with Rick Yagodich, Yagodich, and he is the author of The Author Experience, Experience, which is a new book in the content strategy series that Scott Abel uh, has been producing. Um, Rick, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your book. I've been working in content, around content management and the web for 17, 18 years now. And having done every other aspect, I finally got to the point of dealing with the authors, the people who are putting the content into the system, and realizing that, let's face it, there's not a content management system out there that's a CMS. They're all CMSs. None of them are actually suited to the paradigms of the people who are using them. But if we're dealing with communication, so far on the web, we've dealt with how the, uh, the, res the end user receives the communication. The communication's two part. Someone's got to create the message. And if they don't have a good experience creating, they're stuffed. So you said uh, CMSs, right? Which I think most people really don't like the CMS they're using. Um, why is it that people have such poor experiences with the CMS uh, that they're trapped in? It's not that no one likes the CMS they're using. It's no one likes what the CMS forces them to do. There is a difference. They don't have a problem with the technology. They have a, techn a problem with the interfaces and that it doesn't match their paradigms and their way of thinking about content. That's the problem. So you're saying that, that um, CMSs aren't very flexible and don't fit the specific content needs that authors try to make it do? They're not fit for purpose. They are not fit for the specific business's requirements of content or the author's requirements. They're designed usually on a technical paradigm. Oh, we've got this great way of managing content. It's really efficient at storing it, at serving it, but it doesn't suit how people think about creating it or about managing it. What are some of these considerations? I think in your book you mentioned the ability to see relationships of content among the others, uh, approval workflows. Can you touch on some of these needs? Well, the, the first need is that the system speaks your language, that it uses terms that make sense to you. And I'm not only talking about words. Well, sorry, two, two parts there. One is that it makes sense to you, but the second is that it's consistent. And this isn't only that the words themselves are consistent, but that design patterns and visual patterns and visual structures are consistent. So if you have the same series of three inputs for a dozen different content types, they should all be in the same order with the same field names structured in the same way so that you come to these different things an event or um, a conference event as in party type event as versus a conference versus whatever else where you have a name you have a start date and you have an end date these things <clears throat> those three attributes are shared between a series of content types how you place the fields should be such that they make sense, that you add a fifth or sixth or seventh type in. And people aren't going, oh, how does this one work? 
they're going, how did I miss that this type exists? Because everything else about it fits. Um, now I've got to remember them in order. <laughs> Some other things I mentioned were like relationships of content. Um, the ability to see like what one page is perhaps uh, linked to or how one part is embedded in another part, that kind of thing. Yep. The, okay, that comes into the third item in, in the hierarchy. I have a hierarchy of author experience needs. And that comes into the third one, which is the associative structure. Associative structured content. Now, most people understand to some extent what structured content is. You have a defined paradigm for you know, this content type. It has these elements to it. Associative structured content takes it a step further. It can break it down into clusters of reused templates. So the, even something as simple as the date field technically is a reused structured content, reused structure. So it's a substructure that is reused in a lot of others. But if you have, say, an image, an image consists of the digital file itself, a title, um, alt tags, uh, other information about uh, rendition sizes and rendition ratios. Now, where does an image exist? Well, an image can be part of the definition of a, an article content type as the header image. But it's also an element that can be included in the body of an image. It's also part of a person profile for the headshot. So instead of saying we have you know, each of these three content types and within them somewhere we have the definition of an image, we're saying we have the image as a sub-definition that then gets reused. And it also, associative structured content also covers the aspect of the actual associations between elements of content. So the, these are um, the affinity relationships between the pieces of content. Um, it's the fact that, for example, and this is what actually initially started me onto the thing of author experience, um, dependency awareness. Now, dependency awareness, <coughs> most, well, pretty much every CMS out there does dependency awareness, they say. Because if you publish something and it has an asset, say an image, <coughs> that that thing you're publishing uses, great. You publish the page, the asset gets published too. Dependency awareness. What happens when you've got three pages that use that same asset? And you remove a page. Fine, remove another one, fine. Remove the last one. What happens to the image? Dependency awareness is saying, we have rules. We might notify you. We might automatically unpublish that image because it's no longer used. We might know it's, all, it's reused from some external source and we want to leave it there for them. Or it may be that you have a cluster of pages that relate to each other but nothing else points to them. So they've become an or orphaned. And it can be aware of that and tell you, you've got this orphaned content there that doesn't link back to anything and nothing links to it. Yes, you've got three pages in a loop, 
that point to each other, but they're not part of your main content set because they're missing those associations. What about um, uh, workflows and things like that? Um, those seem like they're the, the bread and butter of content management systems. How are these delicate or problematic? <laughs> um, please tell me of a CMS workflow environment that actually helps workflow. All of the CMS vendors have come up and said, hey, we've got this great workflow system. Really, it's an approval system. And all they're doing is saying, we're going to set up hoops for people to jump through, to tick boxes, so that you can pretend you've got governance to get things published. But, and part of the reason for doing this is, hey, approval. This is a, an on-off switch. It's, a, it's Boolean. Yes or no? Computers are great at that. So? We'll code it. The problem is that no one has actually got this working offline. And if you haven't got it working offline, you cannot create the process and encode it digitally at the same time. Because no one's going to abide by it. You know, the classic example is the piece of content that's been written, it spent three weeks going through legal and all the other places that get signed off. It gets published, everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, and then the intern spots a typo that will cost you a fortune. Now, if you followed your approval process, it would take you another three weeks to get that typo fixed, which would cost you a couple of million while you're waiting. So what do you do? You have a workaround and some techie just goes and pulls it down. Or someone actually corrects the typo and just puts it up there. And then legal throw a hissy fit because, hey, you haven't consulted them about this change, even though it was their error. So the idea of workflow needs to be redefined. The publication process needs more of a risk management approach. But I look at workflow from a completely different angle. It's how work actually flows and how instances and variants of something that gets published relate to each other. A subject matter expert writes their piece, which is actually based on some technical specifications, some technical data that someone then massages into something that's presentable. Someone else chunks up or breaks up into a way that can be used adaptively. Then when the technical specifications change, it notifies the SME. Or it automatically trickles that change through these three, four, five variations and automatically publishes it. That's work flowing. And in the ultimate example of this, if you're tracking who's visited your content, and who's made a buying decision based on data in your content. And if that was an error that's been corrected, you can actually tell people, you've bought this, there was an error in what in the specification you were working on, did you buy the wrong thing? Or you came and looked at this and you didn't buy, was it because of this error? Do you actually want to come back and buy it? That actually takes the workflow all the way from 
the pure technical right out to the end user. That's what workflow is about. It's about the work actually moving through these stages of human processes. It's not about jumping through hoops and saying yes, no. So I was having lunch just a while ago with somebody who was telling me that he really wants to avoid as long as possible getting a component content management system. He's happy just to manage his data files uh, in a source control using Git um, and not have this overhead of a CMS. In your view, uh, can authors have good experiences with their content without having a CMS or is a CMS critical for the author experience? I'm going to swear at you, it depends. Now this, you were talking to one person who is managing his data files because this one person understands the structure of data and likes playing in code. If this person is on his own, hey, that's fine. He can, he can do that. It works for him. If you've got 10 people and you happen to have 10 people that are all as technical as him, great. You can still do it that way. Of course, you're going to start losing things on relationships because not everyone's going to know what everyone else has done. But if you also start moving in and using people who don't want to play in the code, being forced to play in the structural code around a data file is going to put a lot of people off. They're not going to do their best work because they have to concentrate on all these tags that take up as much space as the content they're actually managing. So it's about matching up to the mindset of the people who are doing the work. Having a good CMS that is actually fit for purpose for the language that the authors need to use will benefit everyone. Yes, you have the odd occasion, you know, the odd person who loves playing in code, let them. But the other thing is that the people who are allowed to play in code can break the code. Which, if you even allow them into the code, then becomes a bad thing. If they are so good that they're always going to get it right, and they're never going to try and put a cheat in that something further down the, pro the information processing uh, workflow isn't going to break things, you're fine. But most people who are going in to play with the code really want to do something that the system isn't supporting. And they just know that, hey, I'll, I'll put some tags around something in a certain way that I know we can get away with and we can get some style sheets and, okay, we're not going to be able to use the system to manage it anymore because we've manually done it. This is coming more from the marketing side than the tech comm side. But they then create blobs. It's effectively the same as saying, I'm embedding a PDF in the middle of my block of content because it's something that whatever tool I'm using to do my authoring will not allow, can't understand and won't let me edit directly without going back into the source code. So uh, let's, let's hang out here in this source code discussion for a minute. I, I was playing around with an online Dita CMS a while back and I was happy kind of using it, editing data content in the browser. And then when I decided to kind of cut ties with this and pull my content back down, 
I noticed that there were lots, there was lots of styles added to like every single element and, and other sort of identifiers, which I think content management systems by nature need to insert in order to better identify pieces, to style things in the browser, to uh, create relationships. If you go the CMS route with your content, are you then basically <clears throat> saying, okay, you can add a bunch of stuff in my code, which will then make it more difficult if I ever want to just work at the code level? Well, you were talking about the CMS route. If you go the CMS route, what you will have is your system will serve something out to the browser. The browser will have code that translates that into something it can display and it will map them. I was talking to someone about how to do this just the other day um, to build something actually fairly simple. And he was saying, actually, we'll transfer it all as JSON. And yeah, on the front end while you're editing it, we may stick some extra styles in, we may do some fancy stuff in it, but the data we pass back will be purely semantic. So the moment you start insert transferring those presentational styles back to your system, you've broken the paradigm. You've broken the purity of semantic, structured, reusable content. Because you're not going to pump all those styles out to the end user. Then again, let's face it, the market-leading web CMSs have a lot of rubbish in them that is purely extra tags and extra divs and extra styles that actually relate to the authoring and shouldn't be pumped out to the end user, and yet, yet they are. So this whole topic um, of the author experience gets us into content management system land. And in your book, you're careful not to uh, call out specific CMS vendors, right? Um, but when you're in a real situation at a company and you decide you need a content management system, it's very daunting to figure out even what CMS vendors are in your, your price ballpark, what they do. How does one navigate this dark and murky, hard to find your way in CMS world? There are s consultants out there who have done all the research. They know what each of the systems can do, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. And those consultants can basically show you, if you come to them with a set of requirements, they can eliminate most of them right off the bat and say, okay, these are the ones closest to your requirements within various price ranges. This is what it'll take to customize it. Um, the one I'm thinking of in particular that does this is the Real Story Group. That is all they do. They consult on choosing technology based on your requirements. They're not the only player in the market. So, so you pretty much need a consultant to really make an intelligent decision about a CMS. Is that what you're saying? You need someone who understands CMSs. If you have someone in-house who understands CMSs on that level and has the breadth of experience, great, use them. Most people are biased. They've used the system and hey, it happened to work once so great for them, they'll stick with it, even if it's wrong in the next environment. The advantage of the consultant, where they make a specific point of 
being vendor agnostic is that they keep track of the market. They keep track of what everyone does. And they can help, help make that decision rationally without the politics of saying, oh, we specific, I specifically want this because I've used it before and I know it. So um, let's come back to this author experience. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, um, how would a book that addresses like content management systems and strategies differ from this focus on the author experience? What is more unique about the AX side of things? The AX is system agnostic. The AX starts from the authors themselves, the business, what those needs are, as a way of informing the technology and saying, okay, this is what we need the platform to do. Rather than saying, these are the platforms out there, these are the paradigms they use, it's coming at the same question from another angle. But it's coming at it from the angle of the people. And let's face it, every, pretty much every problem we encounter in the content world is a people problem. It's a process problem. So you have to approach this from the process angle. I think one criticism that, that people have made about various help authoring technologies is that they, they kind of lend themselves towards enabling better author experiences, like with Dita, for example. Um, <clears throat> helps people create links more, be more efficient. At the same time, the US, UX experience of a data produced help is kind of ignored or isn't as treated widely. So in your book, you're, you're talking about the author experience. What about the importance of the user experience? Like wh how do these, how do you weigh, weigh which one is more important if the two can be compared? Well, simply by saying yes. If you are going to have a good end user experience, and the end user is considered the user of record, you need content that is appropriate for them. Now, if you're going to put your content out onto multiple channels, you're going to have to have structured content to start with in your storage. And managing that level of structure and that level of adaptability is difficult. So what we're doing is we're putting a translation layer between the author and the storage and the storage and the output, which is for the end user. If you make that storage environment very granular, very semantic, then you can translate it to anything you like for final output for the end user. It doesn't matter what the author was doing. You have good quality content that is semantic, that is structured. You can output it. You can create a good end user experience. And by the same logic, with a translation layer between the author and storage, you're doing the same thing. Because really, everything you show to the author, you could consider this just to be an, an end user output that happens to support write back so they can edit it. That's the only difference. It's just a different variant of the translation layer. Uh, so, Rick, I'm kind of winding down on my questions, um, but why why did you pick this particular topic? Why did uh, I don't really know how the authors were chosen for this series, but w what about your background or what about your experiences made you particularly interested in the author experience? Um, 
it was a hole in the market. They were the users, and they are users like everyone else, who had been completely overlooked for the better part of 20 years. And for the last four or five years, that's pretty much everything I've been doing has focused on that side of developing the CMS, was specifying how to build it up in a way that makes sense so that they can create good content. And the more I was doing that, the more I saw how big the holes were and how desperately we needed people to stand up and say, we need to pay attention to how we get the information onto the information superhighway. Where's the on-ramp? We focused on the destination. And because a com communication has a communicator and a communicatee, we can't only concentrate on the recipient. We have to concentrate on the person doing the communication. Otherwise, the quality will never be there. Is there any uh, question I haven't asked that you, or topic that you wanted to cover, or did we hit everything? I think we've hit everything that for me to talk about for the moment, yeah. Uh, where can people buy the author experience and find out more information about you? Um, it's available on all good, uh, from all good book bookstores, online, offline. Um, it's published by XML Press, so they've got links to a few of them. Um, and a bit more can be found out at theaxbook.com, which has some additional articles from people who I've talked to about it theaxbook.com you said and about you do you have a website or a profile or twitter account that people can follow my twitter um, account is thinkinfo with an underscore in it um, I have uh, a business site uh, xolo.com that's linked to from the book site uh, and a blog which is thinkinfo.com and that one's hyphenated all right. Again, we're, you're listening to Rick Yagodich. His book is Author Experience, bringing, Bridging the Gap Between People and Technology in Content Management. Sorry, I was reading that upside down. <laughs> uh, we're at Information Development World. So in the show notes, I'll add links to all the sites and uh, more information about Rick and where you can buy the book. Thanks. Thank you.